0: Bonjour, and welcome to Weekly Monotony, the official podcast of the entertainment blog, dailymonotony.com. You probably heard we ain't in the movie watching business. We in the movie reviewing business. And brother, business is a booming. My name, of course,
1: is Dustin Englin. Hello, I'm Scott John Scott, and this ein a good und and I have my own when i Nine 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 (laughs) nine (laughs) nine Wunderbar
0: (laughs) That German was was Mr. Scott Johnsgard. Grazie. (laughs) (laughs) It's my line for the today's show (laughs) (laughs) Of course that is our regularly occurring guest, mister Todd Anglin. And of course this week we reviewed or watched Inglorious Bastards, the new Quentin Tarantino film. Uh but before we get into that, it's that lovely little piece of cinema. Let's we're gonna talk a little bit about what we've been watching, what we've been consuming in the world of entertainment for this past week. Uh Scott, we'll start things off with you. What have you been watching and consuming in the world of media?
1: So it's a matter of what instant watch is able to bring to me fast enough, which is actually quite a lot nowadays. It's, It's growing. Uh, it It is. Uh, so, I'm taking advantage of the large number of TV shows they have, so I decided after numerous consultation with what my highest star recommendation would be to go with the Showtime drama, Dexter.
0: Ah, yes.
1: Which, uh, I, mean, it's, I guess it's been running for about four years now. Anyway, it's about a serial killer who works for the police department as a, forensics expert and takes out the bad guys yes. who get away. so
0: it's a, a serial killer who kills serial killers.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, and he has this serious set of rules, and his, his father was a cop, and his father realized that he was sort of nuts so he, like, trained him to be a good, bad guy, <laughs> what have you. Right. Um, The writing, in my mind, I mean, my expectation is that the darker the area you're working in, the better what you have to say needs to be. Right. So it's like, if No Country for Old Men was just kind of like, the crux of the film where you know, some flatulence jokes, I wouldn't like it very much. So... I guess my complaint with Dexter is that as dark as the material is, I really wish they were hitting something a little bit deeper than what they actually are. But for the most part, I feel like the writing's fairly shallow. They really don't hit very many human issues in the show. Hmm, interesting. That said, it's still pretty engrossing to watch, um, just because there's a lot of fun stuff going on. Right. So,
0: and I've heard a lot of good things about Dexter. I've never actually watched any of it, but uh, definitely I've seen it there on Netflix Instant Watch, and it looks like something that might be worth checking out, and from what my friends have said, it sounds like it's something that's worth checking out, but uh, uh, would you would you recommend someone if they're looking for a TV show to watch, would this be the one you'd point them to?
1: I, I mean, you well, first off, you really have to have a tolerance for the things they can do on Showtime. I mean, we're talking a lot of adult language, a lot of nudity, and an awful lot of gore. Oh, interesting. Um, They're really not holding anything back there as far as those things are concerned. So, um, so this You like, have to have a high tolerance. Is this like TV
0: for... gore, or is this like, does Showtime go beyond what you'd see in a in like a mature rated uh uh TV show on network television or it goes it goes beyond
1: what you would see on broadcast television it's 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 as far as anything you would see in a movie that's rated r interesting so uh there's there's really not any shortage of body parts either dismembered or attached on display
0: huh. let's let's good to know it's not for the the weak of stomach but uh beyond that it's uh, recommend or not recommend? Um, I,
1: it's it's a uh, it's a weak recommend. I mean, it's 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 a f- entertaining show to watch, but it's really not as deep as I'd like it to be. Sure, cool. All right, uh, so, anything else? And then I, on the cinema front, I've got two documentaries, sort of uh, complementary to each other. Uh, there's the the film last year that actually was getting a lot of good press at the time it came out called Bigger, Faster, Str- or Bigger Stronger, Faster. Oh,
0: yeah, the uh, documentary on steroid abuse, right?
1: On steroid use and uh, sort of cultural views of steroids. Uh, it's also, um, it comes very recommended for me. It's ever so slightly preachy, but but really, in my opinion, gets a lot of good information out there about... Steroids and steroid use, steroid culture, safety, those sorts of things. There's a whole large amount of misinformation about steroids. And, you know... But, like, uh, pro-
0: misinformation pro-steroids or anti-steroids?
1: Anti-steroids. I mean, it, it really is a scientific fact that steroids are quite safe. Huh. Um, and that it was the opinion of virtually everyone except the legislators that they shouldn't be regulated as scheduled illegal drugs, you know, a federal offense to possess. Huh. Interesting. Uh, the, the DEA themselves recommended against their scheduling, and Congress did it anyway. Huh, and this film true. sort of indicates that, in their opinion, it was just because of the hubbub involving athletes sure. and athletic activities and schools and students and those sorts of things. So, so, is, this so a,
0: is this a pro-steroids film, or is it, a, is it like a balanced perspective on the steroid abuse phenomena?
1: I mean, I would like to call it balanced, but anybody who really knows a lot about steroids is going to if you know the truth about steroids, you're going to be pro steroids. Interesting. I mean, there's, How there's is really that, not that a way you can be against steroids with knowing the truth about them.
0: Huh. That's very interesting. Oh, that's that's definitely definitely not what I thought it was. It, to me, it looks sort of like a comedic take on the the steroid abuse in America, but uh no, nah, that actually makes makes it slightly more interesting to go see.
1: I mean, it really is very fascinating. You know, they talk to, you know, athletes, bodybuilders, those sorts of things, and literally everyone is on these things. Right. You know. Um, but aren't and,
2: steroids regularly associated with uh, long-term health effects?
1: Well, the thing is that we don't know the long-term health effects of steroids because that research can't be done because they're illegal. Oh, interesting. So all the, all, basically all the research we have now is that the used correctly, you know, under the supervision of a doctor or something like this are exceptionally safe and don't have no demonstrated long-term side effects and they have short-term side effects which are reversible, like growing extra hair on your chest.
0: Right, interesting.
1: Huh. And shrinking your testicles. All
0: I can say (laughs) is I remember Fight Club and the the character of Bob (laughs) who was taking like horse testosterone or something like that and lost his testicles. (laughs) So (laughs) so let that be a warning to you, kids.
2: (laughs) Well, there's some amount of just like anecdotal sense to that, right? In the sense that if you're injecting yourself with things that in theory may contribute to higher higher levels of testosterone, you don't need your testosterone producing uh, or contributing organs as much. And so as with any muscle in the body, they uh, atrophy. So I don't know. I mean that's very interesting if there's some documentary out there casting steroids in a positive light because I would have imagined the medical community would have – would have made more noise if steroids really weren't that harmful for as much as you hear negative about them.
0: Yeah, that, that's, I mean, of life. Oh, it's, it's, it's also, well, it's I mean, safe. steroids
1: are used medically um, sure, for, for, like, like chemotherapy right, patients. Right. Uh, I mean, there are many different types of steroids. You're mostly thinking of corticosteroids, yeah. like cortisone or what have you. But this movie focuses on anabolic steroids, okay. which are the testosterone-like muscle-building molecules. Okay. Um, a, but they, they interview a lot of doctors and a lot of medical professionals who Cast doubt on their prohibition, stating that they really don't think they're that dangerous,
0: huh. so.
2: interesting. So the only question I guess that I would ask then is, does the, the people who made the documentary, do they have any reputation? I mean, do they have a, a, a hand in this, like a Michael Moore documentary, where that's definitely got some bias that's going into it, or do they have no horse in this race and they were just trying to get to the truth?
1: Well, the director is uh, one of three brothers, and his two brothers are athletes. One of them's a football coach, and the other one's a wannabe pro wrestler, both of whom use steroids. Hmm. And he also was an athlete earlier in college or what have you and tried steroids but couldn't basically carry on with it uh, because he, he felt you know, morally dirty using drugs like that that were illegal. So, I mean, I, I think his motivation is just sort of trying to get to the bottom of what the truth is about steroids since he has two brothers who use them interesting huh. so
0: well it definitely definitely sounds like an interesting documentary to see uh, so it
1: got certainly comes with a strong recommend from me
0: so like beyond the, the content itself how was the actual filmmaking
1: the actual filmmaking is quite good a lot of uh a, a lot very well cut you know uh mixture of interviews sort of stock footage uh archival footage those sorts of things uh you know they in my opinion it really interviewed a lot of relevant you know individuals sure. uh I, I it's 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 a very good documentary as good as anything that michael moore puts out in my opinion so
0: so in, in my opinion the best doc <laughs> the best documentary ever made was the king of kong right uh, hands down i've never seen a documentary as surprisingly good as that how would you, how would you rank it up against that
1: you know, if King of Kong is in the ninety ninth percentile, I would put Bigger, Stronger, Faster in at least the ninetieth percentile.
0: Interesting. Huh? That's a strong recommend.
1: So yes, a strong recommend. I I did like it. Cool. So anything else? And and then I mean I'll I'll hit this one fairly quickly, but a nice uh, a nice compliment to Bigger, Stronger, Faster is another documentary called The Union: The Business Behind Getting High, huh. we, which uh, is a Canadian documentary about about marijuana. The, yeah. e- marijuana industry in british columbia um in this is a much more preachy documentary they they do obviously have an agenda here they're very interested in basically pointing out in their mind the hypocrisy behind prohibition of marijuana in canada and sort of by extension you know in the united states uh, but they they make a really good point of you know saying this is an 8 billion dollar industry in british columbia alone you know They estimate 1% of all Canadian, British Columbia are involved in growing marijuana. (laughs) You know, uh, that it's it's a particularly massive thing and that, you know, as far as enforcement and those things are concerned, you know, on like the marijuana celebration day in the middle of downtown Vancouver, (laughs) you know, there will be thousands of people walking around smoking pot and the police will be there, you know, protecting them and nobody's getting arrested, you know, for use or anything like that. So uh, in a way, it's sort of like a documentary reflecting the the cultural zeitgeist in Canada. I would guess probably sort of on the eve of of what everyone in this movie seems to suspect is the legalization and regulation of marijuana in Canada. Huh.
0: Well, as someone who lives very close to BC and Vancouver, I do know that uh, that BC Bud is the is the marijuana of choice for people in in the Pacific Northwest
1: it's it's discussed at length in the film so (laughs) though
0: though I do not endorse the the sale or use of any such narcotics as classified by the DA and their schedule one drugs (laughs) there's no question
2: that for anything where there's government regulation and not to sidetrack an entertainment podcast into politics (laughs) too deeply uh but it just has to be said that there's a lot of gray area in terms of n- there's really no absolutes there's only social contracts and what the larger community thinks is right or wrong and there's no question that anything that's currently illegal the government can make more money off of it if it chooses to legalize it and then simply tax it. Because sure. the only way the government makes money off of something is by taxing it. And if the sin tax on cigarettes and alcohol and any other thing they've deemed to allow but allow with penalty right. um, proves that the government can make money by allowing things to happen and then just taking their cut, you know, it's like sure. the government's <laughs> the ul- ultimate mafia. They the substances <laughs> they allow they allow so they can take a cut off the top. Yep. Um, so at the end of the day, the reason a lot of these things don't show up is because there's just too much social pressure and, and the quote to allow it. So it'll be interesting to see if the changing tides, apparently, if, if we're to believe uh, some of these documentaries and certainly what we hear in, in the current events in Canada, drift and find their way into the U.S. But uh, very interesting report on those documentaries. Those are two documentaries with two sort of different takes than I would have expected. So I would suppose worth checking out for everybody.
0: Yeah, cool. All right, let's 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 move on. Uh, Todd, what have you been up to in this past week of media consumption?
2: Oh, media. Well, I hope that everybody out there listening to this has a job and has almost no time to live outside of their jobs, or else I'd feel like a schmuck. Uh, but I did find some <laughs> time for some media. Uh, fortunately, and thanks to my DVR, I was able to catch the season premiere of the new Top Chef. And I've been like the so Top is. Chef... Uh, pimp for this show, (laughs) mentioning it almost every week, and it's not because it's the only TV show I watch, but I do think it's one of the better ones produced in the reality, so-called reality uh, spectrum. And the new Top Chef, as we've mentioned a few times, kicked off this week in Las Vegas. And judge of this season, which I believe is season... Season six. Five? Six. Season six. Yep. Six. My, they tick by. They do tick by. Uh, But the first... (laughs) The first celebrity judge of the season was Wolfgang Puck. And so obviously since they're in Las Vegas now, you've got all these major restaurateur restaurants which just litter the Vegas Strip. So I imagine we'll see a lot of these celebrity chefs and seeing contests in the celebrity chef's kitchen. Uh, So it should be an interesting season for that fact alone. But one thing I've noticed very different about this new season, if you're a fan of Top Chef and you've been keeping up with the seasons leading up to this, this is the first season where I've noticed them really go out and seek Chefs that have really reputable credentials, bringing them in. So in the past, we've had people have had restaurant experience, but this year I think there are at least four or five James Beard Award nominees, nominees, winners, uh, you know, Best Chef of the Year Award nominees or winners, uh, Michelin star chefs, recipients. Yeah, (laughs) they've really gone out and brought in nothing short of an of top chefs in the making, literally. Um, And so it's going to be interesting to see how different this season feels when you know that the people you're watching have a lot of the credentials that the judges themselves are really, I mean, it's the same credentials those judges earned in their heyday to become the big famous judges that they are. So um, it definitely looks like they've realized that they are now considered something of a standard for finding great chefs, and they're holding up the quality bar, not succumbing to the reality TV, uh, you know, just go find the guy who's the interesting on TV that, yeah <laughs> and uh and finding some really quality talent so no, I, I think started this week and i think it's going to be a great season based on what i've seen so far i think
0: i agree uh it seems like in the past they really have picked people for their personalities and you can you can still tell like the the people they've selected for their their specific personalities like you know they try to find people who are a little a little uh uh, ex- excitatory, I guess, are or, or a little bit more belligerent, and uh, uh, they definitely have some interesting characters in there. But uh, definitely, did see like the talent and the quality of people they pulled in were so far superior to stuff I've seen in previous seasons. And uh, I almost felt like so the, the first person who got bumped off in the first episode, uh, it it like the first time she was introduced, like it almost felt like they were just like, yeah, she's 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 going she's going down. Like she didn't seem even close to the the talent level of anyone else, and even as they introduced her, I'm like, I'm not sure if she was a, she she had anything well known other than she, she maybe had her own catering business or a restaurant or something like that. But, but yeah, I almost almost felt a little bad for her. I was like, wow, she's got destroyed yeah. by a bunch of like top of the line professionals.
2: Yeah, I think they definitely tried to balance the deck a little bit by bringing in people that hadn't necessarily earned their Michelin stars sure. or their James Beard awards. You know, to kind of give the show some of that that feeling of still the the possibility for some unknown to break through kind of like American Idol right right um, but it definitely seems the first week is in, is any indication that if you didn't come in with let me take it back it definitely seems like more than anything else that those awards that these people have actually mean something yeah. because it it seems from the the uh the dishes we saw prepared in the first week that the people that came in with a lot of awards had some of the best dishes yeah, so yeah I mean, if nothing else, to me, that those awards now have more credibility. looks like it really does represent people who are good at their craft. Right. So it should be an interesting season. I mean, I think if anybody enjoys Top Chef, this season should be as good as any and certainly represents some of the top talent we've ever seen on this show. Uh, at the same time, immediately after, which is kind of funny, usually you'd think of it coming as before, but immediately after the premiere of Top Chef last week, we had the uh, the finale of Top Chef Masters from this summer, so we got to find the winner of that entire little sum- summer series of the, uh, the real Top Chefs, the people who have really established their- themselves as the masters of uh, cooking here in the U.S., and I won't spoil who the winner is, but I will say that the person we liked, uh, he... There's, there's three guys in the finale, so I'm not spoiling anything there, sure. but uh, really dynamic personality, really interesting guy. One of those guys you just kind of enjoy seeing win, so uh, overall, I wasn't really a fan of Top Chef Masters when it started. I was a little skeptical because it changed the format a little bit. It didn't right. have the familiar judges, right. but by the end of it, I really enjoyed it, and I'm saddened by the fact that I know they can't really do multiple editions of this Top Chef Masters, because right. really, where are you going to go find more Master Chefs? <laughs> right. I mean, there's only so many people you can identify as Master and bring them in, sure. um, but it was a good season, so if you did miss it over the summer, go catch it on rerun or, or DVD. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I was in TV. In gaming land, surprisingly, shockingly, I actually found some time to play a new game this week. Yes. Uh, in the game i played was on the xbox this little thing i have that collects dust under my tv um and it was through of all things xbox live arcade and the game was called shadow complex Mm -hmm.
1: Uh,
2: so (laughs) i will give my brief description of what it is and i think you've played it as well so i'll let you dive into it deeper but it's essentially a modern take on a quote-unquote side scroller um, built on the Unreal Engine from, um, from... Epic, yeah. From Epic. And so when I was browsing through... and I literally just stumbled upon this game by browsing through the whole Xbox Live Experience dashboard, whatever. I mean, I didn't go looking for this game. and I certainly didn't know anything about it before I downloaded it. But I saw the game, I saw a side-scroller, and I saw Epic... And I put together in my head, okay, Epic does the Unreal Engine, and this said side scroller. That that to me just sounds interesting. How do you do a side scroller on a 3D engine from Epic that powers Gears of War? Yep. So I downloaded the trial, started there, started playing, and I was really skeptical because I really am not a fan traditionally of side scrollers. To me, they're just a little bit uh, they're too repetitive. You know, you just you're running around, just mashing the shoot button, sure, and shooting. It you know, jumping levels, whatever. It's just not very interesting to me. There's not a lot of story, usually, in a side-scroller. Uh, but I was very pleasantly surprised with this game, and maybe I'll save some of my opinion, Dustin. I know you've played it. Maybe I missed some of the description. Do you want to build up the yeah, game a little bit so, more? I, so Shadow
0: opinion? Complex can be best described as a a Metroid-style of of game. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with gaming history, uh, back when the Super Nintendo came out, there was this game released called Super Metroid, and it took the concept of the classic side-scrolling shooter, so you can think of that as kind of the Mega Man kind of game where you, you run from side to side in the level and you you, know, you shoot things with your little blaster and you sort of do a bunch of series of platforming jumping levels, much like a Mario game, much like a, a Sonic game. Uh, Super Metroid took that concept of the platformer and rather than it just being you know a continuous move from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen, they introduced this concept of... Giving you a world, and then slowly letting you explore that world, almost in kind of a mist sort of way, almost in a, in a precursor to the open world experiences we've seen of stuff like Grand Theft Auto, where you can sort of go wherever you want to at any given time. And uh, Metroid also had this concept of slowly letting you build yourself up as you get, and you get more powers, and as you get more powers, you can open up new parts of the world, and you can actually revisit old parts of the world and open up things that were there to sort of slowly expand upon it. But uh, anyway, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Super Metroid it was a phenomenal game. It was really sort of a game changer for the way people thought about side-scrollers. It spawned many copies and repetitions of that similar idea. Uh, probably most well-known was a game in the Castlevania series called Symphony, Symphony of the Night, which essentially did that same formula of give you this huge world in a side-scrolling environment but let you slowly explore upon it. And this this is an unabashedly the people who made this game a company a small company called Chair, uh, they said, or uh, who were purchased by Epic, so uh, produced by Epic, made by Chair, they said we are making Super Metroid for the new generation, like no unashamedly saying we're copying what Super Metroid did and we're presenting presenting it to you in this new package, and that's basically what they've done with this game. And uh, I know Todd, you can comment on what you've what you've uh, thought of it so far, but um, I've actually played through the entire game. I've completed the game to 100%. I've actually gotten all the secrets, found all the itty bitty pieces you can find. And I just loved this game to death. I think this is, it's gonna be hard pressed for any other game, I think to top this as my best game of the year. I, I chewed through this game in a weekend solid, could not pull myself away from it. There's something about it that is just so incredibly fun. Everything just seems to work almost flawlessly. Uh, Todd, why don't you you tell us a little bit about what you've thought of it so far?
2: Sure. So I've probably played through, and I I really don't have any concept of how much game is left in front of me, but I've played about 40... five minutes which to me feels like maybe a quarter maybe a third of the game Mm -hmm. um the the true testament to the game for me was that as i was playing along and i was very willing for this just to be another xbox live arcade trial i played through wherever the trial says hey you got to the end of the trial you know (laughs) unlock the game now and i'm like see ya uh but as i was playing along I actually found myself enjoying it to the point where I realized I'd be upset if I lost the progress I'd accomplished because right. I felt like I'd actually done something. That like was actually a worthwhile game. Um, so, if it, if there's nothing else as to attestments of a game's quality, I was willing to, in the middle of the game, unlock the full game, spend the twelve hundred Microsoft points, whatever that's worth in dollars. It's basic, about fifteen
0: dollars. Uh,
2: <laughs> and I I probably prefer not to know what the conversion is, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, unlock the game, but. Uh, again, I said up front, I'm not a typical fan of side-scrollers. You know, If you told me a game was a side-scroller, I'd probably say, well, I'm probably not going to like it. But what changed this game for me is that so I could define them pretty easily. One is it actually has a, a story, at least enough of a story to keep me interested. Yep. It's not a great story. It's not the deepest story you've ever seen. But there is a story, which for me, I need a story to enjoy a game because I'm not playing a game usually... To challenge my button mashing skills. Right. Uh, I'm playing a game to unravel some story, so I can be entertained more or less. Um, you know, so I'm the kind of person who play a game on casual. Yeah, I want to have some challenge, but not enough to the point where it slows down me unlocking the story. Sure. Um, so there is a story in this. On top of that, there's some great voice acting. I was really surprised at the voice acting in this game for it being an Xbox Live Arcade. Uh, title. There's really first-class quality voice acting in this, lots of original recordings. There's humor, which surprised me, so there's great writing. I love a game that has great writing because that contributes to the whole story aspect. And then the gameplay just feels right on. One of the things that's very unique about this for me as a quote-unquote side-scroller is that you get lots of unique camera angles. So while you are limited sort of to front to back, kind of as you'd expect with a side-scroller, you get lots of different ways that the camera looks at you as you move front to back. Some of the cameras are sort of from security camera point of views, uh looking down on you. Some of the cameras zoom in when you're maybe crawling through a tight space, but they so perfectly nailed the transition from cameras to suit the situation you're in that to me it's a perfect testament to excellent game design. I mean they sure. just they just nailed it. They they paid attention to what they were doing. It feels right and you have a good time playing the experience they built. So you know, if don't let the idea of side scrollers scare you away. This game is really a fun game, especially for being fifteen dollars and being from Xbox Live Arcade. It very much verges on being worth a full title price, a you know yeah. sold in the store's price, yeah. if it had a little bit more content, I would say, because I think what it took you about four hours to finish the game, it took I me think about you said four
0: hours to get through the core of the game and about another four to finish it to one hundred percent. So
2: So so maybe, maybe Let's take uh, compromise six hours of content sure. for the average person. You know that's not quite what you sell in retail stores without a great multiplayer experience. Go right. ask Call of Duty 4. <laughs> right. um, but it, it is enough to be pretty close. Um, so for 15 bucks not on Xbox Live Arcade, it's actually a pretty good deal for the quality of game you get. Um, so overall, I was actually so far I'm, I'm really happy with it. It's a fun game. If you play it on casual like I am, you can get through the levels relatively straightforward you're smashing some buttons and if you're more interested in exploring the levels and exploring these things that they've left for you to discover you can do that quite comfortably in the casual setting uh which is what i'm doing a lot of uh and so for the most part i don't have any any qualms i mean there are a few things that i don't like and i'll just highlight those very briefly uh i'm not a huge fan of the way that the game uh the way that the game... Well, I
0: guess I can't really come up with my negatives really <laughs> right off the top of my head. Well, I can, I can I can, point out a couple. There are... So, even though it's... So, the game is what, what I think... like people like to call is a 2.5D game. So, it really means you, you move along the X and Y axis. So you're going from left to right. But every once in a while, there'll be things that are slightly in front of the plane of where your guy's walking and slightly behind that plane. And sometimes there are actually enemies behind that plane of where you're walking. And that actually lets them fill up a room with enemies without without them all having to be sort of, you know, sitting in a standing in sort of in a column in or in a row right in front of you. And every That's once a great point every once in a while they they force you to sort of look into the background and shoot at people in the background. The problem is it's it's really hard you basically have one stick to move and one stick to aim your gun and sometimes it's really hard to get to get to even the auto aiming that this game provides, which is actually really great. Uh it's a little hard to give it to to look into the background especially if if the thing you're trying to shoot at is directly sort of behind you or so going into the screen right behind your character it's almost like it just can't notice it's there and you almost have to be slightly slightly off to the side before it, it can uh, target the character in the background uh though i i i found this to be a little troublesome but i never found it to be like a game stopper where it's like oh this guy keeps killing me in the background and and this is you know it's just too hard to to hit this guy and that that was actually one of one of the big things I loved about this. It seems like the pacing was was really well done. Like there are a bunch of rooms where they just you know pour guys at you, but they let you approach it in a way that's slow and methodical. And you know, as much as I like adrenaline, you know, games, and as much as I enjoy challenging the skill of playing a game, I like the fact that I could sort of crawl into a room and use my laser pointers to like slowly pick people out and uh, get headshots on them and even with my laser pointer like putting like pointing on their head they wouldn't notice me which is a little odd you might say oh well goodness you know they should have seen this laser pointer on them but i enjoy the fact that they decided not to go for realism and they went for let's just make it fun if someone wants to crouch down over here shoot people in the head from from a long ways away let them do it let's not spoil their fun and if they want to you know jump in front of them and get a have a huge firefight we can let them do that too and uh you know i really applaud game uh people when they make a game and they don't they don't make themselves slaves to reality they're like let's make sure we do this so it's fun and not necessarily it's the most believable thing in the world so
2: yeah there's a high fun factor in this game um, and i would say that the for me you you nailed it on the head the one drawback that i the one criticism i had at least as i started playing it was that i mean this really is innovative in the sense that you've put a 3d engine on a more or less 2d game where you're moving in one plane front and back Um, or maybe a 2D plane front, back, up, and down. So uh, it does have a little bit of a learning curve to get over that tendency to want to explore the 3D space, essentially since they encourage that exploration spirit in the game. But once you get used to the idea of how the game mechanics work and once you get over the way the aiming perhaps works in some of the more complex 3D spaces, the game really unravels as being very fun, very entertaining, like I said, very nice writing, very, very... voice recording, lots of variety. You're engaged in all different kinds of environment from swimming to running. Uh, you know, you kill people with guns. You can do things with grenades. Actually, I even enjoyed actually, the one, fact that early in the game you can electrocute people. Right, that's, oh, so actually, it, yeah, when,
0: that's a Very interesting variety. One thing I want to call out is that there are a couple sequences where you're swimming underwater, and that's, that's to be some of the best both swimming animations I've ever seen and the fact that when you're swimming underwater and something is shooting at you from above the bullets, like, come flying in with, like, those little, like, underwater bullet trails, and then, like, they slowly, like, lose momentum and kind of drift away. It's... So, the, the fact, if, you know, if you're, like, a couple feet underwater, the bullets can't hit you, but it just looks phenomenal. I'm, I'm so impressed by what they've managed to do with the graphics the graphics. They did a good game. job
2: with that. They did a good job with that, but that, when I saw that, that instantly made me think of our recent discussion of the Mythbusters yeah, and yeah, saying, it, I, wait same, a second, same here. <laughs> the bullets
0: shouldn't hit me this deep. <laughs>
2: We're upset with their forgiving mechanics we on that.: you have to
0: swim a bit deeper, out
2: of breath so great game life pricing, uh, certainly try the try. there is a free trial, so start with that, and if you enjoy it like I did, then I think it's definitely worth the 1200 Microsoft points who cares what the dollar conversion is, and uh, I think it'll be a great sort of filler game in between the big blockbuster titles. Uh, of the early summer, I guess spring, and the big things we're expecting here in the fall.
0: Yeah, I I, I would absolutely say that uh, as of now, this is my game of the year. This is the the best game I played, and at fifteen dollars, that's a steal. Like you cannot get a better price to quality of gaming ratio out there right now. So this is this is the game to play. If you have a Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, you owe it to yourself to play this game. Uh, Just absolutely spectacular. I I hope to see more things made by Chair in the Future. They're a a really cool up-and-coming development studio. Cool. Uh, Anything else?
2: That's my entertainment outside of our movie, but I'd love to hear what you've been up to.
0: So I, uh, uh, much like you guys, have really been trying to enjoy the the TV offerings uh, coming up recently, both uh, live on TV. So I did catch... The Top Chef season six episode one season opener. Uh, again, you've heard my opinions there. I really do enjoy it. I, I don't know what it is about Top Chef. Like I, I hate reality, and I want to put that out there. I despise reality television with a ferocity that is that is uncommon in most most people who enjoy television. But there's something about Top Chef. The fact that they're taking real professionals who are doing what they do best and giving them a chance to sort of put that on display, there's just a level of professionalism about this, even though it's shot in a very campy, a very campy reality way, and, you know, there's lots of dramatic pauses and editing. Uh, there's just something about this that just enthralls me, seeing, you know, professional people doing what they do best. And so I uh, absolutely love Top Chef. Uh, looking forward to the season. We're already into Battle, Battlestar Galactica season two, so I've been watching that for a while, uh, and uh, we've we've progressed into the second season already. Uh, still loving that to death, so uh, it's has yet to really have a lull yet, which I'm kind of surprised. Usually, shows kind of lose something after their first season, especially if the first season is really good. But uh, so far, it seems to be keeping the momentum. So I, I still put my uh, uh, my thumbs up for Battlestar Galactica. If you've not gotten a chance to see that yet. See what I realized the other day
2: is that whenever you said Battlestar Galacta, I was getting it confused with Stargate SG1 or whatever oh, that is. That's oh, what I was thinking oh. in my head.
0: <laughs> Negative. So captain. that's why I
2: always thought that I would not like Battlestar because I always think Stargate.
0: It's def- still made by sci-fi, but uh, it's definitely not Stargate SG1. But I've never seen it, so I won't. I won't put down anything I haven't seen though. Every every time I saw it on the Sci-Fi Channel, they were always wearing the same gray uniforms and running through the same forest in Vancouver. So.
1: <laughs> That's <what
0: I'm> <laughs> shooting p90s uh so one more piece of uh he speaks truth yeah one one more piece of television that i picked up was uh a friend told me about this but uh the npr show this american life they actually made a television version of that show uh and put on showtime and it's now on netflix instant watch and so i've been watching season one of this american life uh, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the NPR talk show, it's uh, this this rather strange, monotone reporter, Ira Glass, who finds the most bizarre and yet endearing stories of Americans in their real life, like just the wackiest, craziest fluff stories you could think of, and puts in such an interesting spin on them that it almost seems, it's it's it seems, I don't know, endearing in a way that it's quite hard to explain uh but i've watched about the first half of season one of this american life and it's a very short season i think there's only six or seven episodes but man it's this has to be some of the best and documentary stuff i've seen in a long time and the stories are just so engrossing like i have to hand it to the people who put the show together they really do find some of the most amazing stories that you could possibly think of of real people and it's that's what's so amazing about this so uh I would I would definitely re- recommend uh, this American Life with Hourglass. And uh, it's on the radio, right? It is also on the radio. You can listen it to on your local NPR station.
1: But that <laughs> if they carry it.
0: That's that's about it for things I've seen. So uh, we're running a little short on time. We've been talking a lot about this stuff. There were a few things of news I wanted to throw out there, but I'm I'm just going to pick one of them. Uh, and that is uh so big movie news uh a long time ago we found that the the very popular game BioShock uh which was uh, Ken Levine's big uh, sort of underwater uh, uh what's, what's the the theme I'm thinking of uh art deco style uh dystopian first person shooter game a really popular game both uh me and Todd played it and we really really enjoyed it uh that story was was a option to be turned into a feature film which i was actually pretty excited about and a while back it was announced that gore verbinski the uh, famous director of the pirates of the caribbean series was going to step up as director for this unfortunately uh sort of uh, early this week we learned that gore verbinski who has been working on uh, the fourth pirates of the caribbean film, And has run over a fourth film. Yes, there is. Well, anyway, he's run over budget on that, and the studios basically tried to cancel that project. So he's trying to take that to another country where he can get it done. And because of that, he has chosen to step down as a director for the Bioshock movie. And the movie, or the director that Universal is in talks with to get to come and direct Bioshock, is a director by the name of Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, who is. Not super well known, but you may have seen his movie. He did the sequel to Twenty Eight Days Later, Twenty Eight Weeks Later. That's about the only major film that any American audience would be aware of. And uh, as
2: long as you didn't say Boll, I was gonna be okay. It was not
0: Uvebol, thank goodness. <laughs> but uh, I, I just want to know what, what do you guys think of this? I mean, did you guys would you guys be excited to see a Bioshock movie? And would you have been excited to see a Gore Verbinski Bioshock movie?
2: For me, no. I'm not really interested in seeing Bioshock the movie. Really? Um, I think the idea that every story that's made in a video game can translate to the screen is, I don't know, it's just a bit contrived to me, just as much as some movies don't translate well to video game. Sure. Um, I mean, there's some experiences that if you think about it and what you were doing in the game, and you think about what that would have to look like <laughs> in the screen, it would be one of the most violent movies you've ever watched. You know, you're watching... <laughs> Uh, through and there's like these mutilated creatures crawling on the walls and you know all creepy like and you're you're blowing them in half to bits Um, and meanwhile there's these little creepy girls walking around with big needles I mean yeah cool and all in the video game but put it in real life real movie screen I don't think so I mean it just wouldn't be nearly as appealing to me and the story just couldn't be nearly as in-depth so I said that when I played Bioshock to me Bioshock was one of the most in-depth almost movie-like experiences I ever had as a first person playing a game. In other words, the story was so complete and so well scripted that I felt like I was playing a movie. That said, it's not like I wanted to go watch the movie of the experience I just played. For me, the game was the movie experience, so I'm really just not that interested in seeing it turned into a movie. I don't think it will improve upon the experience I had when I played it
0: as the game. Okay. Scott, have you? do you have any opinions on a Bioshock film?
1: Well, I mean, first off, I don't know how compelling the Bioshock story is. I, I didn't play Bioshock, but I watched the whole damn game. <laughs> um, and I'm not, you know, a lot of the game mechanics, you know, hacking machines and taking little thingies to do genetic crap. I mean, sure. I, I just don't know how well that would work. Half the appeal of the game Bioshock not as a first-person shooter, but sort of as an RPG, was that you didn't really know what the hell was going on for most of the game. Sure, but you don't... And that the process of digging it out is what was interesting. I don't know how well you could translate that to the big screen. Hmm.
0: So I'm I'm actually kind of surprised, but I actually think one of the things I love about Bioshock is I love the aesthetic of Bioshock. I thought it was this concept of this this art deco city of like a 1930s era you know, that that sort of scene sunk under the water and now kind of dilapidated and leaking and uh that that whole entire concept to me is just a beautiful beautiful thing and I'd love to see a a big screen version of that uh and even even the concept of like this genetic experiment's gone wrong, and the whole concept of of uh the sort of struggle for control of this this dilapidated and run down. Uh, once great marvel of a of a city to me that base storyline like there's there's hundreds of great stories you could write just given that environment and that setting and the fact that the the guy who's penned the the uh bioshock film adaptation is the same guy who penned the story for the aviator and i i'm a huge fan of the a- aviator and even though i know you know scorsese and dicaprio are a large part of the reason why i'm a huge fan of the aviator I still think I still think it had a great story and, and almost a similar aesthetic in some ways. So I would actually I actually think it's a great sort of palette for a writer to come and g- write a great story about. And I'm I'm actually hugely excited to see a Bioshock film. Now the fact that Gore Verbinski was attached to it, actually made me a little bit less excited because I as much as I liked the pirate films, at least the first one, I felt like I didn't feel like the love for story at least understandable story was was well (laughs) was well uh well appreciated by mr verbinski but the fact that we have sort of a you know a young comer not not heavily known name director coming to to produce a a a film like this i actually think makes me slightly more excited though though i admit i have not seen any of uh fresno dio's work so
2: Anyway. Not to waste any time, but what video game made to movie have you ever enjoyed I so far?
0: I don't think I've ever enjoyed a video game that has been turned into a movie. That said, I don't think that it's impossible to take a video game environment and create a good movie based on it. I feel like a lot of I feel like there's a lot of sharing of themes and settings between video games and movies that aren't directly acknowledged but still still work in some way. So, uh definitely definitely I don't think if they did a li- if they did a literal interpretation I don't think this would necessarily be a great film but I I have faith in the in the writer and I think I still think it'd be a cool thing no matter what just to uh, see the these these things that they created in the Bashak world on the big screen so
2: And meanwhile, for fans of the video game, in case you haven't heard, Bioshock 2 is one of the people, one of the games to fall out from the holiday season this year into sometime next year between the beginning of the year and summer, so we will have to wait for the follow-up for the game as well.
0: Definitely got caught up in many of those games being pushed to uh, next year. But that's a different news story, and we don't have time. Let's get into the review of the movie we watched this week, and that is Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious bastards. Ten Hut! I'm putting together a special team.
1: We're gonna be doing one thing and one thing only killing Nazis. Sound good? Yes, yes sir! sir! I'm gonna assume you know who we
0: are. Everybody in the German army's heard of you. You probably heard we ain't in the prisoner taking business we in the killing Nazi business, and cousin, businesses are booming. If <laughs> you ever wanna eat a sauerkraut sandwich again, take your wiener so they can finger and point out on this map what I wanna know.
1: I respectfully refuse. Hey, Donnie! Guy's a German here, wants to die for country. Oblige him!
0: Okay, Inglorious Bastards, uh, Quentin Tarantino's new movie starring Brad Pitt, a newcomer to American cinema, Christoph Waltz, Diane Kruger, Melanie Laurent, Eli Roth, and a whole cast of other French and German actors. Uh, Scott, let's, let's start things off with you. What did you think of Tarantino's new film?
1: I guess it's my tendency normally to start by talking about a movie by sort of launching into the subtext or sub-cinema of the film, if you will. And this is a case where I'm absolutely not going to do that and say that uh, uh, I spent probably four hours reading very long reviews by other film critics of this film, <laughs> equally confused, trying to make sense of it. Um, and to thorough base in the body of confusion this film has created amongst the critical community. So I'll just come out and say that this is a film that uh you may like a lot um and you may even call magnificent in part um and also sort of uh draggy in part or maybe even draggy is not the right word though i mean it's true but um <laughs> schizoid or distracted or something like that uh I mean, so so. Your, my overall impression of this film it was was quite good, and there are parts of this film which are great and will go down in cinema history as being you know worth study. But at the same time, there's a lot of this film which is sort of like the taste of a raw persimmon.
0: <laughs> for for those of us not as fluent in in uh, fruit and vegetable culinary tastes, why don't you describe that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's that would be a a, a, a very. Very a straight, a very drying effect. Um, yeah, it's it, it's in general, it's really hard to say anything else about this film without getting down to specifics. Huh.
0: And and Todd, before I throw things over to you, let me set some of the background of what this film is and what it's about. It's basically a a five. Yes. <laughs> it's a it's a a five act film about uh, a group of uh, Jewish commandos, essentially. Led by Brad Pitt, who is a a uh, sergeant or of some kind from the American military, Lieutenant Aldo Raine, <laughs> who who are sent into uh, Nazi-occupied France to essentially enact vengeance upon the Nazis to kill as many Nazis as they can. Halfway through this, we find there is a plot uh, developing to to uh, basically take out all of the. German major officials, including Adolf Hitler, Joseph Goebbels, who are attending a film premiere in Paris, and the bastards get involved, and that's sort of how things go. Uh, all of this is offset, of course, by the main evil character in this film, the main antagonist, uh, who is a Lieutenant, or is it, is it a lieutenant? It's Colonel- lieutenant? No, It's Colonel Hans Landa, oh, the yeah. Jew hunter. Who is sort of a detective who is renowned for being able to uh basically be three steps ahead of everyone else in this world, and uh of course everything comes down to a big clash at the end uh but that is the gist of this story uh Todd, what did you think of inglorious bastards Oh Todd <laughs> hello hello hello.
2: That would be my mute button, so...
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you mean, that was the sound of my wall pointed at your testicles.
2: <laughs> that old stone silence of my review.
0: <laughs> just, just shocked and stunned. No, no, no words. Should have sent a poet.
1: <laughs>
2: so let me go back to my ineloquent start that, I had, uh, that the mute button saved me from. I was saying that this movie is very fresh in my mind. I just got back from seeing this movie, as a matter of fact. Um, and for me, this movie is actually kind of interesting. Uh, let me preface this by saying I am not what you would generally consider a Quentin Tarantino fan. I know his movies kind of have something of a style all into their own. Yeah. And none of his movies up to this point find their way to my top five or top ten, even. I mean, I, sure. I know they're out there, I'm aware of them, but I'm not fans or. I don't even know that I've seen half of them. I just don't get that into his movies. Right. Um, so that sort of being the disclaimer that I didn't come into this with any sort of Quentin Tarantino wanting to see some great movie. I did come into this with a little bit of bias towards Brad Pitt. I do think Brad Pitt is one of the best character actors uh, of our modern generation. Uh, and I generally, for as much as he gets sort of cast as the tabloid Hollywood whatever, you know, um, leading man... He does a great job of playing very crazy character roles, and I really enjoy seeing him play those roles. And this, to me, seemed like a movie that he would have a great chance to do that. Uh, At a high level, this movie, to me, strikes me as something as a cross between The Godfather meets, I don't know, meets some French love story, meets (laughs) some sort of weird movie from the 80s. I mean, it was, like Scott mentioned, there's a few weird kind of almost non-compatible ideas crammed into one movie. Uh, But for the majority of the movie, if you take these sort of weird parts that almost don't feel like they fit, the movie has very much, to me at least, a godfather feel to it. There's a very extreme commitment to the authenticity of the movie. There's a lot of foreign language used throughout the majority of the movie. Uh, Some of the the soundtrack used, especially in the parts that I'm thinking of, uh, are very godfather-like period sounding piece. Um mm-hmm. so when we talk about this movie kind of having that go down in history kind of reputation, for me it's that Godfather type feel that really lends that air of credibility for this being one of those kind of movies that lives on for a long time. That said, there's a lot of things that are kind of odd and I think that kind of fits Quentin Tarantino's personality and the way he directs films, so it didn't really surprise me. Uh but it does become something of an eclectic combination of movie styles Um, And whether or not that works on the whole, I don't know, but I will say the film was thoroughly entertaining enough for me to actually be captivated to watch it all the way through uh, and not get bored for a movie that otherwise I would have expected to be bored at for running two and a half hours. It's quite a long film uh, for the topic. And the only other thing I would add to that before we start talking about more details, this is really, for those of you who come into this saying two and a half hours, this is almost two films in one. Uh, Dustin mentioned that this is a five chapter, first four chapters, we're essentially seeing two stories. Chapters, I think one and three more or less relate, and chapters two and four relate. And then chapter five, they kind of converge and come together for one finale. Um, but we're really seeing two and a half, or really maybe one and a half movies, maybe more accurate. Combined here, um, so that's how we end up with that two and a half hour running time. But it is entertaining, if not a little strange, entertaining. <laughs> and I'll save maybe some of my more specific comments after you give your sure. general approach to this movie.
0: So, so Quentin Tarantino is kind of renowned at being a kind of psychotic director. He's or maybe <laughs> maybe not psychotic. He's very individualistic. He he loves his certain style, and he's not afraid to push that style even to the breaking point or even to an extreme where it starts to, I would almost say wear on the audience. And I feel like that this film is very much in that vein. Uh, I think I, I Twittered about this in a, uh, my sort of Twitter review was, I think this is a brilliant film, but I'm not exactly sure if it's a good film. <laughs> and, uh, I think this is this is I mean there's so much about this film to analyze and love and as a cinephile you have to love this film even as self-indulgent as Quentin Tarantino is as a director it there really is so much I think love and passion and and I would say almost like type A obsessiveness put into every one of these scenes uh and there's there's a lot to love from that and I think that really does come across in this but that said it's it's also at points very, very straining on the audience, I feel like uh basically each one of these uh five act films or basically short films that are kind of connected together have sort of two main characters in a very long drawn out discourse or argument, and it almost feels like each one of these acts sort of works in works in the vein of stretching you the audience out as long as you can before like smacking you with like some very short brief high intensity moment of action and violence and then it sort of repeats itself we get into another thing and it kind of builds you slowly up and tries to draw out that tension almost to the point where it's like grating on the audience like it's you can tell the the film is being stretched to its limits and the the edits are being stretched to their limits all up to the point where it snaps and you get this huge thing of like mondo violence and uh that's really tarantino's style if you if you think of films like Pulp fiction uh that was very much the same style he used there and I mean I think you know you either like what Tarantino does or it just grates on you and you can't handle it and I think Tarantino almost in some ways kind of challenges you to to his films and sort of says you know, like no I dare you to to try to make it through these films and try to try to get through the ends of these scenes like i almost feel like he's a little confrontational with the audience but uh uh in that sense if you can kind of make it past tarantino's confrontational filmmaking style i do think this is a this really is a spectacular film uh i, I in the end i i really did enjoy it especially because i feel like it it ends on a note which is very satisfyingly uh uh crazy and extreme and uh i mean that's that's what you expect from tarantino so let's let's talk a little bit, uh, some more specifics about this. Uh, acting plays a huge part of this since they're basically, you know, they're long, almost like 20-minute scenes of two actors talking to each other. And uh, I think there are some brilliant, brilliant character performances put in there. Uh, Brad Pitt, of course, being one of those great ones. And I have to admit, every time Brad Pitt was on the screen, I thought he was both hilarious and sort of mesmerizing. But I'm going I'm going uh, Let me in- inject sure, quickly, yeah,
2: just just as a comment to Brad Pitt's role. I was surprised there was not more Brad Pitt in this movie. I mean, for being the the, the movie poster star of this movie, um, since it is divided into the chapters the way it is. Brad Pitt for maybe maybe a third of the movie, maybe half if we're being generous, but it feels more like a third by the time we're done. So I was actually expecting to see more of him and more of him in this role, but because of the way the movie's written and directed and the way his scenes play through the movie, we really don't see nearly as much of him in this character as I thought. And that was kind of one of my disappointments for sure. this movie, is I thought we could see more of Brad Pitt being almost like the, uh, the, the Fight Club character, just being right. his crazy personality throughout this movie but uh, i was left wanting to see a little bit more of him in this character it's not to say he was bad it was good when he was on screen it just wasn't as much as i expected
0: no i i i completely agree i think uh it again i almost feel like that's tarantino sort of being a bit of a bastard himself i think i think he likes like the fact that he drew brad pitt as sort of the main draw to this film and yet used him as almost like you know a sprinkling of 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 something extra sweet during the film, while the core of the film was actually actually held by several other actors, most of which were actually uh, German or French by descent. In fact, uh, one of Tarantino's big things about this film is he wanted to stay true to who the characters were. And if they were supposed to be French, he hired a French actor. If they're supposed to be German, he hired German actors. And and what that comes down to is I actually, even though I really did love Brad Pitt and I felt like he was spectacular in this film. I think the MVP award for acting in this film has to go to Christoph Waltz for the character of Colonel Hans Landa. Waltz.
2: No I, question.
0: Good hands gr- down. Good grief! This is probably one of the best acting performances I have seen in maybe the past five years. It's it's stupendously wonderful. I would I would say this even better than one of my favorite performances from a couple of years ago, which was of the uh, the performance of Anton Chigurh in and No Country for Old Men. Uh, this guy is just... He is l- charmingly evil, and it's so difficult to play that role, and yet he does it so perfectly. Uh, uh, what, what did you guys think of, of Christoph Waltz?
1: I'll defer to Scott. <laughs> it's hard to be much cooler than that.
0: <laughs> Specifically? Yeah, <right>? I mean... <laughs> <laughs>
2: If it ends there, I'll build on it, because for me, this, I can't agree more, this, he really carried the movie for me, for the most part, I mean, when he was on screen, I was captivated, he, his role was so originally played, and it felt so, kind. I mean, the way he plays this, this, I mean, like you said, he's the main antagonist, but he comes across as feeling like a good guy, (laughs) in fact, by the end of the movie, there's almost some amount of reason to believe he is a good guy, uh, in some kind of weird way, but... His performance is captivating. He literally speaks at least three languages, maybe four, I think uh, through the four, course of this movie. Four,
0: four languages almost perfectly fluently. <laughs>
2: Italian, French, German, and English, uh, I guess yeah. captures it. And I don't know if he speaks those uh, on his own. I mean, I don't know if he learned the lines extremely well, but he sounds fluent in them for all intents and purposes okay. of the movie. Uh, so, excellent uh, language skills, I mean more than any American actor I've seen uh, and he just did an out, I mean, yeah, outstanding job, I can't believe I've not seen this guy before in fact when I was watching the movie he seemed so familiar as if I've seen him in something else but when I reviewed his acting uh, history and, and saw that it's really just mostly German TV, I'm, I'm sure I have probably not seen him before but I assume we'll see him more in the future because he did an outstanding job as the almost um, I don't want to say up the uh, anti-protagonist, but he did a very uh, different take on the main bad guy in the movie, which was very captivating.
0: No, it's... I, yeah, I absolutely agree. This guy is a phenomenal, phenomenal actor. And the cool thing is he, he basically plays a non-ideological Nazi. He plays a guy who is basically obsessed with his own talent at being a detective. And it really doesn't matter what he's detecting. It's just he's happy to be good at it, which... It makes him such a mystery of an antagonist because you don't really know where his loyalties lie, other than to his own prowess and his sort of his his own uh, an obsession with his his ego that he knows what's going to happen. He can plan everything out, of course, until the very end when that sort of catches up with him and he meets his his uh, his match. But yeah, I I agree. Uh, to me, like I don't think I've ever seen someone so. So uh, violently and like perfectly destroy a strudel, <laughs> as <laughs> uh, as Waltz has. Now, that that's there's basically a scene where he's he's uh, meeting up with this character who he he nearly killed when she was a girl, and he's just you know doing his sort of charming I know everything that you think I know speech, and eating the strudel in this fancy. Uh, Paris restaurant, but he just—it's like the way he does that and manages to incorporate that into sort of his personality and his character is just—I don't know—it's—it's it's brilliant. I—I—I I, I think this is—I believe this is going to be nominated for best supporting actor, and uh, I'll be interested to see what comes to challenge this because as of now, this is this is it. This is this is best as I've seen in a long time.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. He and it's another one of those things where it's unfortunate that be, he really for those who've seen it or will see it he really plays in mostly the first and third chapters and then obviously comes in and plays a, a major role in that concluding chapter but he's another character who I wish I would have seen more of in the movie and so I guess that's that's kind of maybe where these chapters come back to bite you because if you like parts from each chapter you want to see more of them throughout the whole movie but you end up having to kind of sit through one chapter to get back to the elements you liked from the other sure (laughs) um so it's i don't know i mean it's certainly a stylistic choice and i don't have qualms with that but uh there are bits and pieces brad pitt from the the second and fourth and um from the first and third that i wish would have just spent more time on the screen
0: yeah no i agree uh so let's actually talk a little bit about the stylistic choices. Uh, so one thing that we know is that Quentin Tarantino is a huge fan of what were called spaghetti westerns of the sort of 60s and 70s era. And these were uh, low-budget films made by Italian directors, but have the, they end up being some of the most memorable western films of that era. In fact, that's where uh, Clint Eastwood got to start, with uh, Fistful of Dollars uh, and those sort of films. And those are the ones that, you know, if you can think of that, that uh, classic... Uh, soundtrack like da 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 like that <laughs> that that came from spaghetti westerns and that style was very much mimicked in this film in fact the opening credit sequence was actually in fact the entire almost the entire soundtrack to this film were actually soundtracks films or songs from soundtracks to spaghetti western films and the opening credits were an homage to spaghetti western films with the the various typeface fonts being presented like every couple seconds with of different people uh and that that whole style. The really... opening credit
2: music, though, reminded me very much of Godfather. It was very kind of Italian sounding. Oh, it, it, uh... Exactly,
0: that's that's the spaghetti western style. There, uh, I, I actually don't remember what that song is, but it's uh, a very famous, famous composed piece by a spaghetti western uh, film composer. And and so it... <laughs> is that listed in his resume? Spaghetti western film composer. It's essentially, I mean. Uh, there are actually some some legendary uh, composers from the spaghetti westerns. So so he took that. He's a huge fan of that, and he incorporated a lot of that into this film, uh, either you know stylistic choices, uh, film score choices, and he also took another one of his favorite genres, which were the black exploitation films, and these are the kind of shafts and stuff like that. And he took those and incorporated them directly into this film as well, including one like huge like almost non sequitur moment where you get introduced to this this character uh, named. Uh, Stiglitz and they actually like they zoom in on them they do like the the funky font thing okay. and we have Sam Jackson narrating the story of, of Stiglitz and it's I, I I to me I actually love these sort of homages to this this sort of beloved cinephile version of film history uh,
2: I thought there was a Sam Jackson narration sort of cameo in this I wasn't 100% sure when I watched it but I thought so so, That's funny. Uh,
0: I, no, I know a lot of the reason this appeals to me is I I am sort of a cinephile and I do love these kind of inside jokes. I know Quentin Tarantino loves to do inside cinematic references. Uh, Todd, I know you you are not as much a cinephile. How did how did those stylistic choices strike you? Like especially the very obvious kind of black exploitation one we get of of Hugo Stiglitz.
2: <laughs> I didn't mind them. I mean, they, they certainly. I mean, I'm not as, as a cinephile by any stretch, and certainly not a, as I've said before a Quentin Tarantino uh, fan of his work. But I expected it to be a little weird because it was coming from him. I mean, sure. I know what to expect Tarantino film. And overall, I mean, I enjoyed it. I the the oddity that some of the stylistic choices, for as odd as they were, they helped to some degree keep the movie interesting. I mean, sure. <laughs> if this had been a pure Godfather like commitment to that style i probably would have gotten really bored and probably fallen asleep you know at later points of the movie but every so often it was spiced up with a little bit of unexpected over-the-top violence or unexpected stylistic choices uh which made you kind of tilt your head and get back into the movie and say what it's like is, right. is that what he's really doing in this movie and it made you interested again yeah. so i mean for for in for nothing else than just keeping you interested in the movie and keeping you wondering what was going to come next, the stylistic choices for me worked. I mean, they're they're not traditional. They're not probably by the book by any stretch,
0: but they're entertaining. And actually, sort of little-known fact, but sort of interesting trivia point, uh, the film *Inglorious Bastards is actually a pseudo-remake of a 1978 film of the same name, which was, of course, made by a very famous spaghetti western director. Uh, so... I, I, actually a whole lot of this film is really referential to that that concept and that style. Uh Scott, what did you what did you think of the, the sort of homages to that era of film?
1: Well, I mean it's sort of it wouldn't be Tarantino without it. Sure. <laughs> you know. Uh the the entire film, really in a way I don't want to call it a salute to cinema in quite the same way that maybe say Wally is. Um where all of the references are like with a complete loving and deft touch. In this case, it, it feels a little bit more uh, a little more blunt.
0: <laughs> like it was done by an arrogant bastard.
1: <laughs> right, like it was done by an arrogant bastard. And, uh, and I mean, re- really what you get at the end of it, and uh, this is sort of the gist of it seems like what most critics come to when trying to analyze this film is really it's sort of Tarantino patting himself on as you know it's not so much a reference to the film that he's directly alluding to so much as a reference to the fact that he likes to do that
0: I I, I agree I, I definitely do feel like at many points it comes across as incredibly self-indulgent by Tarantino but I feel like he does it in a way that still makes it I don't know it's made, made me enjoy it like even, even knowing it was self-indulgent and kind of hating myself for enjoying it I still enjoyed it so
1: well, I mean, granted, for the character introduction for Hugo uh, Stieglitz, uh, the the audience cheered yeah. and applauded yeah, in my screening room. So,
2: <laughs> But let's be clear, I think that we really, for this kind of movie and the topic it was covering, I think that we almost needed some of that, I don't want to call it comic relief, but certainly style relief, um, where we had some of these things that took us out of the seriousness of the topic sure. being covered. Because anytime you do a Nazi movie, you know, and you're talking about the, the horrific period in, in just... Our world's history of what the Nazis did, you're, you're the risk of making a movie that's so serious it's almost hard to enjoy because you're covering such a dark time in human history. Um, so, for this movie to really be enjoyable, we needed some of those stylistic breaks, I think, to take us out of just a Holocaust, um, you know, true telling of a terrible story from that period. And I think that's some of what his stylistic choices helped do. I mean, even though. We Some of his stylistic choices are extremely violent, especially since these bastard characters, their whole purpose is to violently kill Nazis and uh, ultimately scalp them <laughs> right <laughs> you know it, it's, even though it has to be violent for what it is, it, to some degree, the campiness of that approach helps reduce some of the seriousness of the topic that 's covering sure. and so for me, that actually helped me enjoy it more as odd as that seems. the violence the over the top violence helped me feel like this was more about these. Small characters and their craziness than it was about <laughs> the entire Nazi idea and the entire um, the entire implication of what this period in world history sure. is. And,
0: and actually, I mean, as we go on to the end of the film, we we find out this is very much a a fictional piece on history and very much revisionist. But uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later. One thing I, I definitely want to talk about is the violence in this film. So Tarantino is known for being incredibly over top when it comes to violence uh if you've seen his movies like pulp fiction or kill bill you, you will know that uh and this film is is definitely leaves leaves nothing to the imagination they are you will see people get bashed to death with a baseball bat quite quite vividly you will see people get scalped you'll see people get get a uh, nazi uh swastikas carved into their forehead. Very slowly and with a very loving approach to that that the filming of it. So, uh, what what how did you guys uh, uh react to to the violence in this film? Scott, uh,
1: what about you? I actually thought it was a little sedate by Tarantino standards. Really? To be honest, yeah. yeah um, um, in Kill Bill, it goes black and white when it gets too bad. You know, <laughs> knowing that they wouldn't be able to get that past the NPAA. I mean, in this case, you have a couple of of violent excursions so to speak um like the the uh fight in the tavern for instance sure or the uh, introduction of the bastards but other than that i mean it's really in my mind a very dialogue centric film um i mean there is there is sort of the the final conclusive scene right um which which is maybe the most painstakingly violent one yeah um in, in a, just a personal and uh, palpable way but, but really I mean I didn't come away from this film thinking wow that was really violent the same way I did when I stepped away from District 9
0: hmm, interesting
1: um, you know I was stepping out of this film I was much more interested in learning German
0: <laughs> Todd, Todd I, I know you're not as huge a fan of, of gore and violent movies What what did you think of this
2: I actually was probably on the same page as Scott in this case. I didn't think it was as violent as I expected it to be from the the review. Not necessarily the reviews because I didn't really want to know anything about it going in. So I didn't read reviews. But from the very least the descriptions of this being a very violent movie because it had to be because of the story being told about scalping Germans and beating them with <laughs> baseball bats. Um, so I was a little bit nervous going into it, to be completely frank. I sure. mean, I was afraid there was going to be... Too much over the top violence that it was actually going to be the kind of violence that I really just don't enjoy seeing. Because right. I, I, I don't know if it's because I empathize with the, the pain too much or whatever sure. it is, but there's a certain level of violence at which it just is a turnoff to me and I can't enjoy it. Right. That said, like Scott said, there's a few very graphic scenes, certainly, and they, they prove their point, but the movie is not littered with it. And even those graphic scenes are not nearly as bad as I probably expected them to be. So hmm. um, this. This definitely it has its violent scenes. It's not just a two and a half hour violent, you know, scalping fest of sure. blood and guts. Uh and there are probably plenty of movies, especially within the horror genre, or maybe even on standard T V that are more violent than this. Um, so, <laughs> and I would say that speaking to this as being a date film, I mean, one of the reasons I had a hard time getting to see this is because of its violent reputation. Right. There's almost no way this can be a date film. I mean when you look at the the, the topic, and you talk about Quentin Tarantino and the violence, it's like, hey, let's go see this Scalping of Germans film. It just doesn't go over very well. Um, that said, after having seen it, I think it may have been okay as a date film because, like Scott said, there is so much dialogue uh, that it really helps make up for that. And I think it may be getting billed a little bit too heavily as a violent, gory film, maybe more so than it deserves.
0: Interesting. Well, I actually disagree with you guys. I. I don't think it's the quantity of violence that is of question. It's the quality of violence, and, and personally, I think some of the violence in this film is the, the most like horrific violence I've ever seen. Like How many times do you get to see someone's scalp be slowly cut off by a knife? How many times do you get to see a, man, a man's head beat in with a baseball bat? Not just hit with a baseball bat and we assume he dies, we get to see his head get bashed in with a baseball bat. Or how many times you get no, to I'll see be quick, a guy... I'll be quick to say, I saw this on a very small screen, <laughs> so uh, maybe the impact of the violence wasn't as, as grand to me. It, to, to me, I, I feel like some of the scenes in here are probably some of the most violent things and disturbing images I've ever seen. Though, you know, in the screening I watched and with the friends I watched, it was it's almost comedic to how extreme some of this stuff. And we were definitely laughing, especially, especially at the end of this movie when there's basically a... A thirty-second-long shot of a man having a swastika carved into his skin on his forehead. It's, it's pretty yeah, nuts. I'll
2: agree. With, I'll <laughs> agree with Scott on that as well. That that for me was the worst of all of it. So I mean, for, for all the scalping and for all the uh, beating and and guns, you know, blowing blood across sure. the the room. The worst was by far that slow uh scene at the end of of carving the swastika which wasn't extremely violent in of itself sure. you know nobody was really killed in that it's just it's you know one of those like watching somebody take a scalpel to somebody yeah. in, a, in <laughs> a you know medical scene it's just that kind of pain
0: cool uh well we're running long so let's let's try to wrap things up uh Scott, let's start with you. You got to let us
2: have a little bit of a spoiler cam because there's one thing that just has to be said. Okay, okay.
0: Let's we'll we'll throw out the spoiler cam, but before we do that, uh let's let's get our final thoughts so we can then move into spoiler territory and people who do not want to listen longer do not have to. Uh, Scott, I'm going to start off with you. Final thoughts, uh recommendations for Glorious Bastards? <laughs>
1: uh fans of Tarantino, fans of Brad Pitt, fans of uh German and French language. Uh, <laughs> and you know, to find, so so it's really hard to 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 say if you're a fan of blankety blank genre you should see this movie. Um I, I mean I I do strongly recommend this film if you're the sort of person who will like it. <laughs> <laughs> a bit reflexive. <laughs> <laughs> uh and, and I mean it's this is a film where it's really hard to be much more specific than that um you know uh, there's there's all the elements we talked about this film is very referential it's it's very violent it's very this it's very that very the other thing I mean uh, really a lot of elements have to come together in the viewer in order to like this film
0: uh, okay cool Todd what about your final thoughts uh, recommendations
2: uh, catch it on DVD. I mean, if if you've not seen it in theaters and you're you're a little bit nervous about seeing it, still very good, very interesting movie. But uh, there are, I think, better movies out out there in half hours. You know, you're not going to want to sit next to that loud person in the theater and sit in the crappy seats they give you these days. I mean, this is one that, for as good as it is, and I did truly find it entertaining. I'm not going to lie. uh... Probably does not make my top five or ten of the summer so far. So. Uh, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Certainly, since mostly I thought it would be more violent and um, and more maybe more off-putting to me, being, being a Quentin Tarantino film. But Brad Pitt does a great job, kind of as you would expect. The role played by uh, Christopher or Christoph Waltz is uh, over the top, certainly more than I expected. So you're going to enjoy that, but I don't know that it's worth $10 at the theater.
0: Uh, Certainly
2: not a date movie. So if you have <laughs> to consider that, you're out of luck with this movie. I think
0: if Quentin Tarantino is directing it, probably not a date movie. <laughs> there you go. So my my final thoughts on this, uh, I would say if if you know Quentin Tar- Quentin Tarantino rubs you wrong, you you're probably not going to like this film. I think this is very indicative of what he's done in the past. And if you know you don't like that style, you're I think you're going to be rubbed wrong by this film. But if you don't quite know how Ten- Quentin Tarantino is going to affect you, and you're you're curious at all in this film. I would definitely say uh, uh, go out to the theaters and see this. I recommend seeing it with uh, a bunch of good friends. I think this film is a lot better if you're with some some dude friends, and you can sort of enjoy the the humorous subtleties of this film. Uh, I think there's some tremendous acting moments in this film. This film, as Scott has said, is actually really a dialogue acting centric film. I think there's some spectacular acting in this film uh so if you know if you're if you're into that good sort of thoughtful dialogue and the tension from, that comes just from dialogue and not action i think you're gonna like this film uh but overall you know if you're you've definitely if you're cinephile go see this if you're interested at all and you know that you're you know that quentin tarantino is uh is something that you can stomach you gotta go out and see inglorious bastards okay So with that, we're going to put the spoiler cam on. Stop listening now if you don't want anything spoiled about this film. Uh, Todd, I think you had something spoiler-y you wanted to talk about. So why don't you start?
2: So you alluded to it. And uh, since, again, since this movie is very fresh in my memory, this is the last memory I have of this movie, (laughs) or one of the last memories. Uh, And that is, as the movie draws to its conclusion, and since we're in spoiler cam territory, I can say... As we draw to the point in the movie where we expect that the uh, the Fuhrer, that Hitler himself, and a number of his top top officers are going to be killed in this sort of movie theater death trap, right. um, I started wondering, probably about 30, 45 minutes before he reached that point, well, this is going to be interesting. How are they going to have Hitler get, get out, out, out of this exactly. theater? Because obviously <laughs> Hitler lives. I mean, right, it's what, right. I started having that classic sort of logical debate in my head right. of well, this is not going to be very fun. We know Hitler lives because uh, we know how history ends. Right. So how can you make a historical movie where he died? You're playing through your head. Well, what's the scenario going to be? Right. It's going to be a little disappointing right. because we always know Hitler lives. Right. Uh, so you can imagine my surprise <laughs> when the movie takes a turn and in the middle of this very violent conclusion in the movie theater that two of the bastards, two of the remaining bastards, blow down the door to basically to Hitler's box seat and just <laughs> mow him down with a machine gun.
1: <laughs> okay,
2: I see. So this was what it would be like if Hitler died uh, in a movie. Uh, and so I actually fully expected for the next five minutes for there almost to be some sort of dream, dream sequence, sequence type. Like, and this is what it would have been like if, <laughs> right. you know, it's kind of like one of those where it rewinds right. and says, right. you know, and wouldn't it have been great if all this happened and then the right. reality situation happens, but that's the way the movie plays out. So like you said, it is an alternate reality. It is a revisionist history, but it frankly makes it more interesting because we never get to see Hitler die in these movies. So it's about time we saw him blown away in in some representation of history. No, I, I
0: absolutely agree. I had the same problem with, uh, that you were having as, as this gets toward the, to the climax of the film where this, this big showdown is supposed to happen, where they get to take out all these German officers at this premiere. Uh, I, I had the same problem. It was like, oh man, you know, some, they're going to get up. He's going to leave. You know, they're not going to. They're going to have to, you know, write write into history how Hitler gets away and how Goebbels gets away because we know neither of them got got killed in a theater or anything close <laughs> to that. And you know, we have it's they're being pretty historically accurate to that point. So he had to assume that they were going to try to stick with in the history and I admit I was getting kind of disappointed because I wanted to see I wanted to see things go down I want to see them take out Hitler and as soon as they bust through the door with uh, their, uh, their little MP4s and or German 40. MP40s, yes. <laughs> and mow down Goebbels and Hitler, and then to the point where uh, one of the guys is, like, shooting Hitler in the face, like, over and over again, like, like turning his face... <laughs> yeah, he's pretty much dead. There's no question he's dead. <laughs> ...into Swiss cheese. I was just... I was hooting and hollering. I, I thought that was probably the best <clears throat> thing they could have done in this film. Like, yes! Total revisionist history. Amazing. Uh, it's like, yeah. And I... At that point, I just love the fact they're going, like, so campy that it's like like, yeah, we're killing all the Nazis and all the Germans in one fell swoop, and and the fact that at the end of the at the end of that everything exploded, I was like yes yes. It's like if you didn't believe he was dead now here boom (laughs) we'll blow him away to pieces. I I I absolutely love that sequence. I I thought it was the perfect way to go and it and very I thought it was yeah very satisfying because it was quite surprising. I don't think anyone was expecting this to be a revisionist history.
2: It was probably the most surprising scene to me because like you said and I think like Scott's touched on a number of times here. This movie combines a lot of kind of odd, uh, discontinuous themes, Uh, but for the majority of the movie, it feels very historically accurate. Like we said, I mean, they're using the actual uh, native languages for the scenes where they make sense. I mean, we're hearing German where we should hear German. We're hearing French where we should hear French. There's a commitment to the theme. There's a commitment to the period. Uh, A lot of you know very high-level commitments to making this movie feel accurate. But then you have things like this, you know, where just totally steps outside of the realm of re- uh, accuracy or believability at all. Uh, and while it's jarring, it does have something of a satisfying effect because we never get to see Hitler get what he kind of deserved, so to speak. Um, and so when you see a movie do it, you're kind of like, wow, okay, that, that's, that's fine. I mean, it didn't happen, unfortunately, but that's a cool idea of how history could have gone down. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, Definitely self-indulgent to the script, but I enjoyed the deviation from reality. Uh, it made it more entertaining for me.
0: No, I definitely, I, I actually did love the sort of pulp fictiony nature to this. Not, not film pulp fictiony, but like pulp fictiony in its actual sense. Like, I do enjoy the fact they took the setting of Nazi Germany and they're like, let's just create a crazy fantasy world where. You know, Hitler and Goebbels got destroyed by by two angry Jewish commandos, and, and you don't see it coming because there's not enough
2: leading up to that where you think, "Oh, I'm in this fantasy Germany land; things can happen in a very fantasy way." I'm not going to expect it. I mean, you really do up to the almost the very last scene there, where you see this actually go down, believe that you're in some kind of reality-based uh, right. World War II period, and and then the you know, so the other shoe drops, so to speak, sure. and you get the uh, revisionist history that. Tarantino puts in the movie so it's not one of those things you see coming at all I mean if there's anything that you could call a twist in this movie that certainly was it for me Yeah.
0: cool uh, anything else you want to talk about while we've got the spoiler cam on well
2: oh, actually I, I, I did okay. not I did Go not ahead. see the, the twist coming that the girl was the girl that ran away from the uh, farmhouse until almost right before they revealed it I mean I, I did get the idea hmm. at some point just based on her body language but um, no, I, thought the, the... I was a little surprised based on the timing in the movie because I didn't realize that so many years had passed between the opening chapter and the third chapter where we see Earl who escapes the, the farmhouse and the the colonel reunite. Um, I, I didn't quite put that timing together based on the way the movie's presented, but um, but that was another little twist in the movie for me that caught me a little off guard.
0: Good. Well, and that was another thing is the the fun thing about that is like you'd never quite know whether colonel hans landa actually knows that this girl is the girl that he he basically saw running out of the house when he when he killed uh killed his or killed her family and and that's always something that kind of interested me especially during the scene where uh, where he's devouring the strudel is he kind of wonders like does does he know because he he seems like he does and the fact that he does things like you know orders her milk which you know they were at a dairy farm before and and he drank a glass of milk there. And the fact that, you know, he orders this cream and like like before she could eat the strudel, she's like he's like, wait for the cream <laughs> Uh Right. Yeah. No, I, I I love that the fact that we we never quite we never quite know what's going on in Hans Lonza's mind, but
2: yeah. And that said, speaking of that girl in speaking of things and things that were jarring sort of eclectic scenes of the movie she also plays into one of the most crazy eclectic scenes in this in entire movie for me where she's sort of putting on her makeup getting ready for the finale scene and we have this like 80s rock ballad right. play as the soundtrack for it is one of these I mean there are a few of these spots in the movie but it's one of these weird spots where again we've sort of had this godfather like you know traditional soundtrack to go with these very period uh, scenes, sure. then all of a sudden we have these very period scenes overlaid with this really out of place music or this really out of nowhere Samuel Jackson narration. It's just, right. I mean, yeah, it's jarring and it takes you out of the movie, but it was almost designed to do that. Right. Um, like you said, it's almost Quentin Tarantino giving the audience sort of a, a dare to to keep up right. and um, and take these out of left field changes to the way the movie's going. Um, I it, I didn't hate it. I mean, it was weird. I didn't hate it, but it certainly <laughs> is one of those scenes that stands out as a what in the but well, whatever. It makes the movie entertaining.
0: Sure. Uh, so one thing I want to mention is what a crazy cameo by Mike Myers. Yes, as a as like <laughs> a British general. I actually thought that was probably one of the most stupendous things I've seen Mike Myers done in a long time. <laughs> yes. I
2: don't. I mean. When I realized, because I knew Mike Myers was in this film because I right. ca- caught it in the opening right. credits and I was like okay that's interesting right. and I, I, I guess the fact that two hours passed from the point I saw that he was going to be in the movie right, right. until the point he actually shows up in the movie, I'd kind of forgotten so it took me just a few seconds for it to click in that, oh, it's Mike Myers <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but once I realized it was Mike Myers I had a really hard time not trying to hear him to make hear some him. voice from like Fat Bastard right. or it was something that he'd done before, and it's I, like, I def- oh, where's the Austin
0: Powers yeah, I, I, d- I definitely heard a little Austin Powers or Dr. Evil in in his British <laughs> accent, but... uh,
2: Yeah, it's like, oh, are you going to get the... Right. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, oh, bravo. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that... I, I mean, what do you think of that choice? Because that was one of the choices for me that it, it kind of struck me as odd, because clearly, when you pick Mike Myers, who's done a lot of different accents, sure. um, very much a character actor... And the scene and the role he was picked for could have been pretty much done by anybody. Sure. I mean, all you had to do is go find some old British guy to represent a British general, and it would have been fine. I mean, the scene didn't call for comedy or anything no, that Mike no. Myers really typically brings to the table. So it was a bit of a risky choice, in my opinion, because you are suddenly watching Mike Myers, right. and you are trying to see what does Mike Myers <laughs> bring to this scene. Right. Um, it, was, it would be almost to me as if he'd cast Samuel Jackson to play... The, uh, the black guy in the movie theater. Right, right. like, you know, what's he going to do? Like, it's Samuel L. Jackson. Surely he's going to do something Samuel L. Jackson-y. Right. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know whether I would say I wish he would have not used Mike Myers because, again, Mike Myers didn't really contribute much, or whether I turn around and say well a typical role and yay mike myers for not playing austin powers no, for i, the I mean time.
0: i think i think that was an interesting choice because i almost feel what he was trying to do is he was trying to make fun of the way that that british people were portrayed in some of these you know 60s 70s uh, world war Two films and if you're trying to think of the most the most crazy uh I guess parody of a British person like Mike Myers is like the perfect person for that. And the fact that he threw him into that role only in like a serious way and like tried to drive it in a, basically a pretty serious way. Like he nev- Mike Myers never did anything outrightly humorous, other than the fact that it was Mike Myers on the screen. I I know I I, no, I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's another Tarant- Tarantino choice of being like ha ha look at me I'm clever, but uh
2: yeah it was definitely Mike Myers in a non-comedy role which made you kind of. On it was another one of those things you're that like on the, made yeah. you. I mean, it created weird tension. It's right. Like you're waiting for comedy. Right, right. But you didn't get it, so you're like,
0: uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I, 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 on. I think it does work with the whole <laughs> concept of of Quentin Tarantino trying to build tension in these scenes, even when it's a bit bizarre to do so. And I think that was actually a great way to do it, because you're you're waiting for Mike Myers to break out in some kind of comedy, but he never really does. <laughs>
2: And I love the fact that he had to read, and I don't, And I, it may have been nothing, and I may just be reading more into this than it's even worth. I loved the fact that the Mike Myers character had to refer to the bastards um, by name in his scene because obviously Mike Myers famously played the fat bastard role. I did not even catch that. One of the few other instances of the bastard term being used in Hollywood. So I I listened very intently when he said that (laughs) word because you're you're almost just kind of waiting for that bit of uh, bastard. Like a word he was eager to say. Uh, I don't know if it was there or not but I felt like he had a little bit of... uh, fun using that word in his scenes. No, that's that's um, a good
0: point. I didn't even think of that.
2: But it wasn't bad. I mean, Mike Myers did did play his role well for what it was. It was a very small... Well, the, the, know, the surprising thing is so.
0: in the trailers for this, like, like, he's featured in, I think, at least the second trailer for this film. And I remember having seen those trailers, like, I had no idea it was Mike Myers. Like, there were brief moments of him, and I, I thought it was just like some British guy doing one of those famous kind of, you know, uptight British voices. But, uh, no, I was actually really surprised Like when it showed that as Mike Myers. I'm like, wow, that was Mike Myers? I, I would not have guessed.
2: So, uh, yeah, you don't notice it right away. And it comes in another one of those really weird spots in the movie where you're not quite sure what's going on in the movie right. or how it relates to what you've seen before or after. But, um, you know, so goes this movie, I guess. <laughs> it's sure. the way things are stitched together. <laughs> Cool. I... But otherwise, uh, you know, for everything else we've covered, a lot of unknown actors, a lot of them from foreign films, especially or foreign TV. They did a great job, I think, in this movie. I I really have a lot of respect for these people that I uh, probably have not seen before, and I, I hope I can see them again in other movies where they speak English. Yeah, definitely. Uh, hopefully, because <laughs> that's part of the forgot. Um, though, but though
0: a lot of these actors probably don't speak English much better than they did in this film, so.
2: Well, but you look at Christoph Waltz, I mean, he spoke English just as well as any other language. I mean, I was shocked to find out that English wasn't probably his primary no, language not, because not. of how well he spoke it when he used it. Yeah. So, uh, let's say if I had to have one final comment, if I could say nothing else, I would say I hope we get to see Christoph Waltz in other movies where he plays some kind of pseudo sinister bad guy. Because, uh, I mean, let, maybe I could even be more put it to a finer point than that. I hope. Christoph Waltz is the next bad guy in a James Bond movie.
0: <laughs> it's actually a great idea. Oh man, I mean, I, I I agree. If I if I had to have some some closing thoughts, I would definitely say more more Christoph Waltz. Put him in films. I think he's he's he gave an interview to Slash Film, which I read, and apparently he's getting offers all over the place from American directors. So hopefully we'll see him in more stuff. Uh, I couldn't be more excited to see him do more stuff. And 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 quite frankly, I'm actually slightly more excited to see Quentin. T- Quentin Tarantino do more stuff. I mean, I've not been a huge fan of his works in the past. I like pulp fiction. I wasn't a huge fan of Kill Bill, but uh, uh yeah, I'm this actually was the first first of his films that I think I really did enjoy and I actually think I'm I'm going to enjoy revisiting this film uh uh sometime soon or at least when it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray.
2: I'll 100% agree with that. I've not enjoyed or even fully watched any previous Tarantino film because they just have not grabbed me. But this one I was captivated front to end, so I'll probably watch this one again at some point, And I'll probably give his uh, direction more serious thought the next time he releases a movie. Sure.
0: Scott, any, uh, I have to ask nope. you one question, yeah. though. I have to
2: ask you one question. Sure. The very last, almost the last line uttered in the word, when after Brad Pitt has carved the swastika into Christoph Waltz's forehead, yep. the scene <laughs> we were referring to earlier, yep. uh, he says, he utters the line, I just think this might be my masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> did you allusion to this being sort of Tarantino speaking through Brad Pitt to the world about the movie we'd just seen? I think, or did you think it was contained to Brad Pitt's character? No, I
0: believe that was entirely Quentin Tarantino speaking those last words. <laughs> which was basically him at the last moment saying, I rock. <laughs> which, <laughs> essentially which, that. which, which, unlike when Michael Bay says it in The World Laughs, I actually think it's it, you might... As arrogant and crazy as it is, I actually think it, you know, it's, it was well-deserved this time around.
2: <laughs> I agree. It didn't seem out of place. Sure.
0: Cool. Uh, Scott, any, any closing comments, spoiler stuff?
1: I couldn't possibly agree anymore, and uh, I just want to be on the record as saying that the opening dairy farm scene, or the entire first act, and the tavern scene, both are single-handedly worth the price of any admission in any movie theater.
0: Yeah, sure absolutely especially, especially the the opening sequence of this film of of uh, Hans Landa interrogating the dairy farmer i think has to be probably one of the most like suspense building dialogue scenes i've seen in such a long time so uh if anything i could relate it to i would relate it to some scenes from uh no country for old men i felt it had a very similar feel to the the sort of tension style of two two great uh, dialogue actors sort of going back and forth so cool well i think that does it for this this again very long episode of weekly monotony thanks if you stayed with us entirely to the end and as always come back to dailymonotony.com as often as you can for uh movie reviews game reviews news about those two previous ones and you know i'll get them up as often as i can i i do try i will try to get some more stuff up Maybe some more video game reviews, as that has sort of become the the bastard of our our particular uh, film and game website. But until <laughs> until next time, I think all we can say is that's a bingo. <laughs>